are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Ezekiel 48, verses 1 through 7, and then 23 to the end of the chapter. These are the tribes listed by name. At the northern frontier, Dan will have one portion. It will follow the Hethlon Road to Leboth Hamath. Hazar Enon and the northern border of Damascus, next to Hamath, will be part of its border from the east side to the west side. Asher will have one portion. It will border the territory of Dan from east to west. Naphtali will have one portion. It will border the territory of Asher from east to west. Manasseh will have one portion. It will border the territory of Naphtali from east to west. Ephraim will have one portion. It will border the territory of Manasseh from east to west. Reuben will have one portion. It will border the territory of Ephraim from east to west. Judah will have one portion. It will border the territory of Reuben from east to west. As for the rest of the tribes, Benjamin will have one portion. It will extend from the east side to the west side. Simeon will have one portion. It will border the territory of Benjamin from east to west. Issachar will have one portion. It will border the territory of Simeon from east to west. Zebulun will have one portion. It will border the territory of Issachar from east to west. Gad will have one portion. It will border the territory of Zebulun from east to west. The southern boundary of Gad will run south from Tamar to the waters of Meribah Kadesh, then along the Wadi of Egypt to the Mediterranean Sea. This is the land you are to allot as an inheritance to the tribes of Israel, and these will be their portions, declares the Sovereign Lord. These will be the exits of the city, beginning on the north side, which is 4,500 cubits long. The gates of the city will be named after the tribes of Israel. The three gates on the north side will be the gate of Reuben, the gate of Judah, and the gate of Levi. On the east side, which is 4,500 cubits long, will be three gates, the gate of Joseph, the gate of Benjamin, and the gate of Dan. On the south side, which measures 4,500 cubits, will be three gates, the gate of Simeon, the gate of Issachar, and the gate of Zebulun. On the west side, which is 4,500 cubits long, will be three gates, the gate of Gad, the gate of Asher, and the gate of Naphtali. The distance all around will be 18,000 cubits. And the name of the city from that time on will be, The Lord is there. Thank you very much for reading. Not an easy reading. <laughs> Maybe you thought, what kind of Bible reading is this? What are we going to do with this today? Well, we'll get there. I, though, would love to hear from a few of our tables, what were some of those cities that you mentioned? Feel free to just shout it out. Chicago. Denver. Two harbors. Others. Grand Marais. Homer, Alaska. Very nice. Somewhere in Norway? Long Norway. All right, very good. Good, getting further from home. And we should acknowledge we have a special guest here this morning from across the pond from Market Bosworth. That is Amanda Otto's sister from England. So good to have you here with us, Kim. And Amanda, should we share why she's in town? 
All right. I get a little hesitant about announcing the actual age of especially women in our congregation. <laughs> Amanda's celebrating a milestone birthday. And so congratulations, Amanda, from your church family. We'll leave the number aside. <laughs> All right. Well, today we reach this finish line from the book of Ezekiel. We started our year here tackling this big and relatively unknown book of the Bible. And this is one where if it's in your Bible reading plan and you make it to the end of Ezekiel, you breathe a sigh of relief. 48 chapters. And we kind of skipped our way across those 48 chapters and landed on some significant places. And it ends today, after all these names, all these Bible words, it ends with this glorious line, the Lord is there. And it ends with the vision of a city. Now, I don't know across this gym who might say I'm more of a city person or more of a country person. If you like going to a vacation where there's going to be a great nightlife or, or if your idea of nightlife is to hear the sound of the crickets somewhere. But it appears to me in the Bible that God actually likes both. He created both. And both places have their distinct advantages. So we see on the one hand, God makes the Garden of Eden. Not the city of Eden, but the Garden. The Psalms are full of descriptions of the beauty of nature. Jesus liked to get away to quiet places. But on the other hand, we think through Scripture and we see God dwelling among his people using this thing called the tabernacle or later becomes the temple. We see that Jesus loved to spend time with people and he would travel from town to town. And heaven is depicted as a city, not as a country cottage. So to me, it looks like God likes both. And maybe that would describe some of us too. You could actually go to either spot if it was the right one. One city that we've been hearing a lot about lately is the city of Kiev, or formerly called Kiev under its Soviet name. This place in Ukraine. And in peaceful times, Kiev has been considered one of Eastern Europe's top cities to go and visit. If you were to look up some of those top cities, you'd see names like Prague, one of my wife's favorite cities. You would see Krakow. You would see Budapest and Kiev. And since I have not previously known a whole lot about Kiev, I thought I would look up and see what are some of the sites that are there. And so you would see things listed like St. Sophia's Cathedral, St. Andrew's Church, which is perched over the top of the city, great panoramic view. You would see Marianitsky Palace, Independence Square, the National Opera and Ballet, and of course in a place like that you can watch the Nutcracker or Swan Lake. You would see the Botanical Gardens, the Motherland Monument, which is actually bigger than our own Statue of Liberty. Theophania Park, which is like their version of Central Park. And so we recognize this is a huge city with lots of sights and sounds. Over three million people live in Kiev, so it's like the Twin Cities Metro. There is something about a city that is reflective of the heart of God. Just like a mountain range or a Minnesota lake shows us something about who God is, his beauty and majesty. And in the case of a city, we see that God is the creator of community. A place where people come together to live and to do life with others. 
where relationships are key as you live closely alongside your neighbor. And in Ezekiel 48, not just relationships with each other, but ultimately, it's going to be about our relationship with God. Today is the exclamation point at the end of Ezekiel. Our series has been titled, God Will Strengthen. And every week as we've come back together and studied the Word, we've asked ourselves, okay, so how does God actually strengthen us? It says He will, not just in Ezekiel, but throughout the Bible. It says God will strengthen all those who place their trust in Him. But we're asking, how does He actually do that? And we've been looking into Ezekiel for clues. How can I seek out and receive this strengthening that he's promised? And week to week, we've been adding things to the list. Today marks week eight since we started into Ezekiel. And just as a little last recap, here's some of the things we've seen. God will strengthen us, number one, week one, through his Holy Spirit and the word. You'll remember that line, eat this book, eat this scroll is what's said to Ezekiel. Number two, God will strengthen us through repentance. When we turn away from sin and we return, we run back to God. Thirdly, he will strengthen us through his shepherding. Through his good shepherding. Number four, he'll strengthen us by giving us a new heart and a new spirit. We said a heart transplant and spiritual CPR. That's what God does for us. The fifth week, he'll strengthen us by breathing new life into our dry bones. In New Testament language, Paul says that we are dead in our transgressions, but God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive in Christ. And Katie preached that beautiful text from Ezekiel 37. Week six, God will strengthen us by glimpses of his glory and the joy of his presence. Remember, as he moved back into the temple in Ezekiel's vision. Number seven, last week, he'll strengthen us by the life-giving water of his presence. And now here we are, week number eight, our final one in Ezekiel. God strengthens us by coming and dwelling with us. Which is just another way of saying something we've said now for three weeks in a row. He strengthens us by his very presence. That's been the theme. Just a little different angle week to week, different picture, but same underlying message. God is with us. Katie said it to the kids just a few minutes ago. He has not forsaken us. He is rich in mercy, and he has come to be with us, get this, in spite of us. That's the promise of Ezekiel. So let's take a look at this final chapter. The first portion of the text is focused on the land of Israel. Remember, too, that Ezekiel is given this vision as he is a thousand miles away from home. He and the rest of his people are in exile, and Babylon rules over them. Home is a distant memory by this point. Jerusalem had been like a bombed-out city. The temple had been burned to the ground. Their land had been taken. And so what a promise now for Ezekiel to have this vision of The land restored to Israel. All 12 tribes, these strange Bible names, and yet all 12 tribes are counted off, finding their place in Ezekiel 48. And the initial focus here is on these tribes and the allotment of their land. Verse 1, 
says, these are the tribes listed by name. And we already heard them once. We're not going to reread those verses, but we can list them off, the names that were there. And you'll recognize these are the sons of Jacob, going back to earlier stories in the Old Testament. Dan, Asher, Naphtali, the sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, then Reuben, Judah. We get to seven, and then we jump to verse 23, and we pick up the rest of the list. Benjamin, Simeon, Issachar, Zebulun, Gad, and you count them up and you got 12. And then comes the summary verse in 29. This is the land you are to allot as an inheritance to the tribes of Israel, and these will be their portions, declares the sovereign Lord. Whenever we run into that in the Bible and in Ezekiel, declares the sovereign Lord. We want to lean in and listen. Portion is one of my favorite Bible words. It's used in a way that's not immediately familiar to a lot of us. We don't use the word portion a whole lot, except if we're talking maybe about food. (laughs) A portion of food, a serving portion. And yet even though this concept, as we run into portion in the Bible, might be somewhat unfamiliar, it's something that is deeply ingrained in us from early on. This week, We had two very difficult scenarios play out that led to meltdowns. Parents, you've witnessed meltdowns in your home before. Because the portions were not perceived to be correct at breakfast. One morning it was that the breakfast burrito was not sliced and diced to be exactly big enough for one of our family members. It felt like the very next morning, making waffles, and once again... We had to have a conversation about portions because the first kid with the ready whip can decided to hold it as long as they could over their waffle. And so all you could see was whipped cream. So I said, no, the can is empty. Now we've got to spoon off that whipped cream and share it around the table with everybody else. Even the baby will sit in his high chair and will do this. I think that the proper baby sign language is this, right? For more? He did not learn it that way. He just does this. I want more. I want my portion. And that surely is familiar to each one of us. Portion is one of my favorite Bible words. And many of you probably have a Bible at home that has a concordance in the back. All the Bibles that we give to high school students and to married couples. We give them a wedding Bible with their name imprinted on it. They have a concordance in the back. And that's where you can look up key words. And you could look up the word portion this week. And just explore some of those spots. It's one of my favorites. Let me list three examples. Psalm 16. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Lamentations 3. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And then an absolute favorite of mine would be Psalm 73. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And if you were to ask some of our friends who have walked through the valley of the shadow of death the past couple of years, I think of Ryan Vick. I think of Mauricio. I think of Scott Schramm. 
they would be able to tell you what it means that the Lord is their portion. In Ezekiel 48, the tribes are listed and they are each given their portion. Everything in its place. The land is divvied up. Every name is mentioned. And yet what's also striking to me is that this land is not just for these 12 tribes of Israel who are mentioned. It is not just for ethnic Israelites. Otherwise, my guess is most of us in this gym would be in trouble. But the vision that God has reaches far beyond that. If it was just these 12 tribes, there would be an inside crowd and everybody else would be left out. But what we see in Ezekiel and throughout the Bible is that God invites all people to come and know him through Christ. And I want to pull in a passage from last week, Ezekiel 47. We didn't get to this part in our reading. I wanted to share it with you today. Ezekiel 47, if you're there in the Blue Bible, just flip back to verse 21. Ezekiel 47, starting in verse 21. Listen to this. Listen to the heart of God and what's revealed here. He says, You are to distribute this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. You are to allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the foreigners residing among you and who have children. You are to consider them as native-born Israelites. Along with you, they are to be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe a foreigner resides, there you are to give them their inheritance. Here's this line, declares the sovereign Lord. I just put the Bible down on my lap when I read that and thought, wow, what a God we serve. And sometimes all this stuff in our modern era with politics and race and education becomes very convoluted. And yet may the truth of Scripture rise above it all and give us a sense of the true heart of God for people. There is a place for everything and everything is in its place in Ezekiel 48. We come then to the second part of the passage and our focus narrows from the whole land, remember that's what we've been talking about, down to its capital city, and specifically the description of its gates. Now we don't live in cities like this anymore, but for much of history, cities were enclosed by walls and accessed by gates. If you have traveled to Europe, and I think about our 2015 trip we did to Germany as a missions trip, or we took students to London in 2019. If you've been to Europe, you have seen cities like this that are enclosed by walls and accessed by gates. Verse 30 in our reading, here's what it says. These will be the exits of the city, beginning on the north side, which is 4,500 cubits long. The gates of the city will be named after the tribes of Israel. And then what follows that we'll kind of skip over is a description of the city and we'll see it's shaped like a square. So that 4,500 cubits, Mrs. Nimi, the math teacher, I think if you times that by four, you get 18,000. And that is the indicator that this is a square city. And on each of its sides, there are three gates. On the north side, just as a recap, Sonia read this for us, Reuben, Judah, Levi. 
On the east side, Joseph, Benjamin, Dan. The south, Simeon, Issachar, Zebulun. And on the west side, Gad, Asher, and Naphtali. Twelve tribes. Everything in its place. But what's so interesting about this design of this city is that a city would never have had this many gates on a side. I mean, that wouldn't be very good defense if you're designing a city. The northern wall should have just had one gate. The east would have had one gate in an ancient city or a medieval city in Europe. One access point in each direction. But here you've got three gates on each side for a total of 12. It's not very good defense, but that's not the point. What is God saying through this vision? He is giving an invitation. Three gates on every side communicates unrestricted access for all who would want to come and worship God. This is a porous city. A porous city wall. Because the God who dwells there with his people is the one who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Come into my city. And that brings us to the name that's given to this place, the poignant closing line after 48 chapters. It says simply, after all these Bible names, maybe this was a refreshing sentence to run into. It simply says, And the name of the city from that time on will be, The Lord is there. Yahweh Shammah. The Lord is there. And this name reverses the curse of Ezekiel 10 many chapters ago when God left Jerusalem. Because for generations he'd been calling out to his people to return to him. To be in relationship with him. And the people of God wanted nothing to do with him. They walked away. And so remember these two big themes of Ezekiel that we shared in week one. This is a book you can split right down the middle with judgment in the beginning and hope in the end. The temple is rebuilt. God returns to his people. The city gets a new name. The Lord is there. And God had said that this new day would come. Ezekiel 37. He says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. A covenant of peace, of shalom. Meaning nothing is missing. Nothing is broken. Everything is whole and complete. That is what this city fulfills. And it sounds to me a whole lot like a city that we read about in Revelation 21. I've read this passage at, I don't know how many funerals in memorial services. One more passage I want to share with you, Revelation 21, where we have Ezekiel's city described in different words. It says in verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. How does God strengthen us? By his presence. And he will dwell with them, it says in Revelation. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. This is it. This is where 
the trajectory of your life and mine is going as we place our trust in Christ. These are the things that we have been longing for, to finally be at home and to have permanency with God. And at the end of his commentary on Ezekiel, and that's what I brought along to share with you, by the way, that's these top two books. I don't know how long it took him to write this, but this is 1,544 pages on the book of Ezekiel. And on page 1,544, here is what the commentator says. Herein lies the hope of Ezekiel's message for Christians. In Jesus the Messiah, the glory of Yahweh, he has descended and dwells among us, full of grace and truth. He is Emmanuel, God with us, where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, there he is. What do we make of this? And I've been asking myself too this week, what do our Ukrainian friends make of this? What does it look like to be under siege and to cling to these promises? What does it look like to run for your life and to take your Bible with you and to stand on the truth of God's word? Russia, where also there are people following Jesus, we always should remember that, is a place that just last year in 2021 was added to the State Department's level one list where religious freedom is most in jeopardy. Where people, if they're following Jesus, are most persecuted. In fact, the president of the ERLC, Russell Moore, said, Vladimir Putin ruthlessly persecutes those who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He holds orphans hostage from waiting families for his political purposes, murders dissidents and journalists, and attacks democratic institutions and nations. That was written four years ago. And we're seeing it play out today. And it's interesting, as we think about, Lord, what is it that we want more of? How will you strengthen us? What is it that we need? It occurs to me that even as we watch this invasion into Ukraine, Russia is already far and away the country in the world with the largest landmass way ahead of the other contenders, Canada, China, the United States. But more, more. And isn't it interesting that the man at the head of this charge into Ukraine is considered, it's hard to quantify it because of how money is kept and properties are kept, but is considered to possibly be the wealthiest person on earth Vladimir Putin owns 20 palaces, one of which is valued at over $1 billion. Then you add the other 19. He has four yachts, 58 personal aircraft, and a collection of watches worth half a million dollars. What do we see playing out? More. More. And we can consider that on a global scale, but... I would just like to invite each one of us today to think about how we might be answering that question in our life. God, what is it that I need more of, truly?
What is it that will strengthen me? Lord, what have you promised to give and am I called to receive? And the reason I ask us to think about this personally is because I think each one of our lives, mine included, can feel very much like a besieged city. We can know so well what it means to be hunkered down, to be taken hit after hit, or living in fear or uncertainty. Until we finally, each one of us, are able to answer the question, what is it that I want more of? And at the end of Ezekiel, the answer we find is we want the Lord to be here with us, in us, to experience his love and his grace in more profound ways than we did last year or the year before. And so as we close this book and as we are prepared to move into Lent and some of the teachings of Jesus and the Gospel of Matthew next week, let's bow our heads in prayer. And Lord, we um, turn our eyes now off the headlines of the world and into the things that are stirring in our own hearts and minds. Lord, we sang of you this morning as the waymaker the one who keeps his promises. And I pray, Lord, around these tables that each one of us this morning would see how you have come to be with us and to strengthen us by your very presence. Lord, if there is anything that we want this morning, may it be more of you. Whatever false gods have propped themselves up in our lives, the things that have tempted us to want more of, We set it aside this morning by the power of your spirit. And Lord, we ask that we would have more of you. That you would be our portion. That you would fill our cup. That you would be our strength. And we can only ask for this, Lord. Because of the mighty name of Jesus, the one who has gone to the cross for us. It's in his name that we pray. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.